Okay, let's open our Bibles up to uh, Romans chapter thir- uh, 12. 12. We're going to finish 12. Almost got ahead of myself there. We had left off talking about the gifting, having gifts differing, but I want to back up a little bit. I just want to touch on something uh, that Paul had said there in uh, verse 7, where he was talking about not to think of yourself more highly than you ought. And so too many times in the body of Christ we talked about this, that we can get that sense that maybe we're a little more important than we think we are, you know, and we're always kind of uh, our own best critics, when in reality we probably ought to be our own worst critics, you know, and, and just being in reality with what it is, you know. In First Timothy 5.17, he says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor long in the word and doctrine. All members have not the same office. We touched on that. Um, and this is something that's kind of come up over the last couple of days. There are differencing offices within the body of Christ. There's differencing gifts. Everybody's different. Everybody has giftings in some place, some way or another. But in reality, it's the Holy Spirit that's driving those gifts. And ministry gifts are the ones that I think that most of the time get exalted and probably too high. I was listening to a um, great preacher early this morning uh, before church and just discussing that issue that, you know, God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. And so often we think that somebody's doing something because they have this, you know, the, the mots, so to speak, to do it. And nothing could be further from the truth most of the time. Paul was a great example of the exception of that. But when you look at the rest of the disciples, when you look at most of the people, when we look at ourselves, we find out that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I thank God for that verse because I fit into that so well, you know. So we want to make sure that we're just not thinking more highly of ourselves because in our culture today, let's face it, what we're told is that people most of the time, well, you know, they suffer from low self-esteem. We've heard that a million times. I mean, I have. I've had people say, you know, tell me, well, I suffer from low self-esteem. When the Bible actually says just the opposite, you know, the fact is we think more highly of ourselves than we should. Most of the time when you talk about the issue of, of uh, now I'm not a psychologist, but I've read a ton of books on it. Most pastors have, uh, but that low self-esteem thing. Most of the time, I th- most of the time it comes from false humility, and really because when people are saying that, what they're saying is, "I want attention." They're telling you that because they want attention. Well, I suffer from low self-esteem, or I don't think. No, no listen. Most of the time, it, when it's just you and God, most of the time they think more highly of themselves, which is why the admonition in the scriptures is just exactly that: not to think more highly of yourselves as as, they, as, as some do. So in verse 6, we're going to pick it up. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So we talked a little bit about the issue of gifting. We looked at 1 Corinthians 12 on that one. Uh, I just wanted to touch on where, where he's talking here about, you know, letting wait on their ministering. You know, the word wait there it comes from a Greek word, en, E-N. And it means to, it doesn't mean to just sit back on your laurels. It means to give yourself wholeheartedly to it. You know, to wait means to give yourself heartily to that. So when it comes to the issues of gifting, there's nothing worse than seeing somebody who's been extremely gifted in a particular area of ministry squander it. And I've seen it more times than I could count. Or they take it frivolously. Or they don't give it the honor that they should. You know, whether, you know... And I don't care what that is, whether it's teaching. Like, you know, Paul talks about the issue of teaching. Um, this one's kind of dear to me because I learned from my pastor many, many years ago that if you're going to be a teacher, you have to be first and foremost a student. If you're going to be a teacher, you have to be teachable. 
And most of the time, a lot of times, it, it is, you know, they're not because they, they're just, a lot of times they're not being able to be taught. And you have to be able to be challenged. You've got to be able to do those things and, and to put yourself in a position of being able to learn from anybody. Or in the issues of prophecy, you look and we talked a little bit about that because there's a million false prophets today walking around and talking and saying things that, you know, thus saith the Lord. And really the Lord has said nothing because the scriptures are very clear, you know, on certain things when it comes to that. So we have to, you know, prove all things and hold fast that which is true. Look at verse 10 there. Um, he says to another, oh, excuse me, I'm, I'm, no, I jumped way ahead of you. Sorry about that. Verse 9, here we go. He says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Love without dissimulation. I love this word. This is why I love the King James Version. I'm not a King James only guy, but this is one of the reasons why I love it. I love it because the language is so much fuller. You know, the word dissimulation, in, in most of your Bibles, it probably says hypocrisy. You know? He probably says hypocrisy, and, and that is a correct interpretation of it. You can't, but that word actually has a much fuller meaning. And before I tell you what that is, it's, it's kind of like when you get to the Bible in, 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 in uh, was it Romans uh, or 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, when it uses the word love, love without, in, in the King James, it uses the word charity. And that word's a lot different than love because it means something so much more. Actually, the word charity means love in action. Because we can say we love somebody, but if we don't show that we love somebody, you know, we're, we're, not, we're really not walking in the truth. And when it comes to this word here, dissimulation, it's kind of the same way. When somebody dissimulates, let love be without dissimulation. Dissimulation is hypocrisy, but like I said, the word has a much more in-depth meaning to it. It's more accurately when someone is having you come to a belief based upon false information. Even if the belief, do you want to get what I'm saying? They're using false information to, to, to bring you to a, a, a position that they want you to. That's what dissimulating is. It's, it's using certain falsehoods. In this case, Paul says, let love be without dissimulation. Let it be genuine. What that means is that a lot of times we can allow people to believe that we love them when in reality we really don't. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's, that's a real thing. That happens all the time. You know, it's called being nice to your face. You know, they smile in your face. You know the song, right? <laughs> you know, and this is what happens. That's what dissimulation is. But Paul's exhortation to us is to be genuine in that love. You know, I had a discussion yesterday, and I, and, I, and I believe loyalty kind of falls in the same category. Loyalty is real high on my list. It just is. I don't know whether I, I don't think I got that from the Army. Uh, certainly wasn't in the Marine Corps, Semper Fi, I wasn't in that, you know, and you know, always faithful. And, uh, but I just kind of always understood that if I'm your friend, I'm always your friend. You know, and I mean that. I'll tell that to you. And, and if I'm your friend... I'm always your friend. Now, here's what I don't mean by that. I don't mean I'm always going to tell you what you want to hear. That doesn't mean that we're always going to agree. That doesn't mean that we're always going to see things eye to eye. Well, here's what it does mean. Even if we do disagree, even if we have a heated discussion, at the end of the day, I'm still your friend. My table's still open to you. My door's still open. And if you need me, you call me. That's what a friend is. Not somebody who says, yeah, we're friends. And the first time I say something that you don't like, you're out the door. That's not a friend. That, that's, you dissimulated against me because you allowed me to believe that you were. But in reality, you really weren't. Why? Because you proved it. Because I could do something, you know, that would break that trust, that loyalty. Loyalty should mean something. It does to me, anyway. Maybe it's just a coping thing. I don't know. But to me, it means something. Um, I think it does to a lot of people. I just think that we should, you know, let love be without dissimulation. Don't let it be false. I mean, Hypocrisy, I like that word because really in the Greek, that word simply means actor, whether you didn't know it. You know, that's what it means. It comes from the word actor. So, yeah, it's acting like you do. And so I guess in that sense, but it's a lot more than that. So, and then Paul goes on to say to abhor that which is evil. And, of course, that word means to utterly detest. Uh, I heard, a, and not to get political, but I was listening to a, one of our recent debates, and one of the guys who was running was accused of being angry. And I loved his comeback because what he said was, he goes, I'll accept that. 
because this country, and he gave a long list of the things, and, and I think most of the people looking at our country today could probably say the same thing. You've got a lot of things that upset you, and they should. You know, we look at the issue of abortion in this country. And now, think about this. Here recently, it's been brought to our revelation, it's been revealed to us, that the Planned Parenthood literally mutilates and then sells the body parts of children. Now, you know, Adolf Hitler wasn't too far from that when you study the Holocaust. Well, we've got a Holocaust going on right on our nose, but it, but it barely raised a bump of indignation, even within the church, unfortunately. Barely raised a barely raised eyebrow. We know it happened. It's been proven. It's, it's true. They even admitted it. Well, yeah, we did. But it doesn't appall us. We don't abhor it. We should abhor it. There's a time for anger. There's nothing wrong with being. The Bible says be angry, but sin not. You know, but there's certain things that we should abhor, utterly detest, Paul says. But then he tells us to cleave to that which is good. I like that verse because in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, you can write it down. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's one of those little tidbits. It's kind of like a proverb in the New Testament. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. The exhortation or the exclamation being put on to prove all things. Within the body of Christ, gang, we're, we're given so many things across pulpits and through tapes and radio and without nary an investigation before we just receive it. Listen, the Bible tells us over and over, prove all things. Test the spirits, whether they be of God. Be a Berean. Paul told him, listen, the people of Berea were much more nobler than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. One of the greatest things that we have to guide us in that is the Holy Spirit. We talked a little bit here uh, about the gifting of the, of, of, these, of, of the Holy Spirit and how he gifts us, regardless of what that is. And, you know, this morning, the Lord really been speaking to me about that, reminding me, bringing me back to that, you know, because it's easy to forget. You know, because the Bible says men make their plans, but God directs their steps. And how does God do anything? He does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, you know, he was writing to O Theophilus. You know, I'm writing this unto you, O Theophilus. I don't know who Theophilus was, but he was very liked by, by Luke, uh, who was the one who wrote it. But he writes to him, and he says, I'm writing this to you about all that Jesus began to teach that he began to teach and then continued through his prophets and disciples, through the Holy Spirit. So he revealed the rest of it through the Holy Spirit to, to the apostles. And that's where we learn. We learn through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will teach you all things. You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of those things that Many of us have just, you know, I come from a, uh, it's not a denomination, although it's, I always laughed about it because I was part of a church of 10,000 strong churches, 10,000 of us. And we swore up and down we weren't a denomination. I always laughed and said we were the largest non-denominational denomination in the United States. But one of the, one of the earmarks of the, of the church that I came from was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we were not Pentecostal. We were, I always called it we were biblicists. Whatever the Bible taught, that's what we, we, we did. You know, this is what the Bible, this is what the scriptures say. But as I grew in the Lord and as I traveled and as I spoke at many of the different churches, I noticed there's a, there was a big difference. You know, there's an old saying that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, well, each generation of apples seems to. Because as the apples start coming off and they keep going down generations, they keep getting farther and farther away from the tree. You know, one of the last Calvary chapels I served in it was heartbreaking because I saw worship that was disjointed. It was not led by the Holy Spirit. I know that sounds harsh, but the pastor there would just allow anybody to get up. What was the criteria for people leading worship? It wasn't leading of anything. This, this question's come up in the last couple of days. There's a vast difference between, as we studied here a few weeks ago in, in, the, in this, you know, this great epistle of Romans, we talked about how the Holy Spirit leads. It's the devil that, that directs. He pushes. You know, he prods. 
But it's the Holy Ghost that leads us, you know. And so we want to be led. But it has to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, getting to that place where we allow that and we don't quench the Spirit of God. And I'm not talking about crazy. You know, there's a great book out there written by a, a really great pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, who was my pastor for years. He wrote a great book years ago called Charismatic versus Charismania. And I loved it because it was so balanced, you know, just biblical. And he, because there is a, a Charismania. And I guess, you know, if, if you really like a lot of emotion, uh, you're probably going to lean that way. It's better to have the word and the spirit. It's better to have both. You know, we don't just want, like I said, if, if all you did was study the word of God, if that's all you did, like the Pharisees, they did. The Sadducees, the, the scribes, they studied, they knew the scriptures. Remember, Jesus told them, he said, you study the scriptures for in them you think you have life. But it's the scriptures that speak of me and yet you won't come to me that you might have life. So they knew the scriptures. So if that's all you have, you're going to dry up. And then you have people who rely on, they think they do, nothing but the spirit. Well, we're just walking in feelings, bro. We're just, you know, we're just doing whatever. And so they'll be doing all kinds of things in the name of the Holy Ghost and Really, it really shows no semblance of what the scriptures teach. You've got to do one in the power of the other. So teaching, preaching, whatever the case may be, singing, running the board, whatever that thing is that God has you, whatever that gifting that you have is administrating, giving, he says, those types, those all have to be driven by the, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's a vast difference. See, when you came to Christ, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. You were sealed unto the day of redemption. We've already learned that through this study. But here's a challenge for you, because John Wesley, the one that the Methodist Church built their doctrine on, I want to challenge you. John Wesley taught this, and so did my old pastor, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is both separate and subsequent to salvation. And to this, I believe the Scriptures teach. I can show it to you. Now, I would add this caveat. Not always, but most of the time. Cornelius would be an example of an exception to that rule. Okay? What does that mean? You can't put God in a box is what that means. God's going to deal with people the way he wants to deal with them, and he'll deal with the issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's that overflowing. You know, in the book of Acts, go back and read chapter 1. And Jesus was the one who said, what purpose does it serve? He says, you shall be filled with power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, what does that mean? Now, if I talk to some people to their walking nothing by feelings, they're going to say it means speaking in tongues. If I'm going to talk to somebody to the far left, then they're going to say, well, that all happens when you get saved, and really it's just a feeling, but that's not what we see in Scripture. What does it mean? The word power there in the Greek in, in Acts chapter 1 it comes from the word dunamis, and you shall be filled with the dunamis when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That word is where we get the word dynamite from. It, it means dynamic. It means power. Power. Now, in some Wesleyan theology, uh, which progressed over into the Nazarene doctrine, there were those that believed that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, that any residual sin that was in your life would be burned out and thus led them to the belief of Christian perfection. I don't see this in Scripture. I don't find it anywhere. Matter of fact, in 1 John, would totally blow that out of the water. But, you know, they were good men, and, and you can believe that if you want. And it certainly is not a salvational issue. But the Scripture is very, very straightforward. As far as what does it mean then? What, what, what is that power for? He said that you might be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's to make us witnesses. Did you ever wonder why you've heard some people say, well, I've sat in church, I've been a Christian for 35 years. Have you ever led anybody to Jesus? You mean, you mean personally? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean personally. Have you ever led anybody to faith in Jesus Christ? And a lot of people tell me, no, I never have. And I, my question's always the same. Why? Why? Why have you not? And most of them can't give a good reason. I mean, there's only a couple reasons, really. Let's face it. You're either ashamed of it. I'm not picking on you. If that's you, I'm not picking on you. Just hear me out. Take it as a challenge. You're either ashamed of it or you don't have the power. No, it's either one or the other. Because those of us who have received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, those of us who are walking in the Spirit, and I know what the difference is because I was. I went to a tent revival. I went forward when I was 13 years old. My life showed nothing of the Holy Spirit. 
Nothing. Why? Wasn't taught to me. When I finally, in my life, I thought was ruined when I was 23 years old, I really did. It was a mess. There's no doubt about that. But when I finally came back to Christ and really began to take that serious, I found that even after a few months that, I don't know, it was waning. You know, you kind of have that on again, off again experience with God. Every, something's going bad. You know, you're, oh, God, help me. You know, and the Lord comes in and helps you. And you're going, oh, okay, I'll take it from here. And then you go right back to doing the same. Well, that was kind of my experience. So my little brother, this is right after my father died, my little brother had been sitting out at some crazy place called Calvary Chapel out in California, which I had never heard of at the time. And he'd been listening to this preacher, and, and, and he had gotten saved and was on fire. He was only 16 years old at the time, and I'm seven years older than him. So when he came back and he was living with us, I remember me and him sitting, and we were doing Bible studies together, and I, I, t- I started sharing with my little brother. I said, hey, you know, I've been kind of having problems in a couple little areas, and, you know, do you, do you deal with that? And he just like, uh, no, uh, no, I don't. And it, it really ticked me off at the time because it was like, oh, you're just more holy than I am, are you? Super spiritual kid, you know, it really made me mad. And he goes, no, no. He goes, well, let me ask you a question. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I said, well, sure I was. I was re- my first roots were in the Baptist sect. I'm going, well, sure I was. I'm saved. Well, yeah, I know, but were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah. He goes, how do you know? And I thought, oh, no, here we go. He's going to come up with some crazy thing. There's got to be some outside sign, you know, like you know what I'm talking about. I was ready for that one. He goes, how do you know? And I said, well, have you ever asked? He said, asked? What do you mean asked? He takes me to the gospel. And here's what Jesus said. If you being mere men know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Ghost to him that asks him? Have you ever asked? No, I never had. Didn't know I had to. Well, you don't necessarily have to. There's exceptions to the rule. But maybe you might want to try it. And so I went into my little prayer room, which happened to be my bathroom at the time. It was. I was hey, nobody else has it. It was at the time. I have an actual prayer room, but I, it was a bathroom at the time. So I went in there. I was a kid. It was the only private place in my house at the time. So I went in there, and I said, Lord, I don't even know what this kid's talking about. I didn't know enough scripture, but I knew one thing. I knew I was struggling in an area, and I knew that I wanted some help. And I said, Lord, I don't know what he's talking about, but whatever he is talking about, I want that. If there's something more, I I want it. Now, I'd like to tell you that I got hit with a bolt of lightning, and all of a sudden, you know, the lights shone, and, oh, you know, and I walked out of there a changed man. I did not, because right before I asked, I knew, I did know this verse. And this is in Galatians chapter 3, and you can go back and read it. Paul says, how received ye the Spirit, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So I knew it was by faith. And I knew I didn't have to look to any outside sign, because even as a baby in Christ, I had come to realize that, you know what, God is faithful, and if you ask him anything, he's going to give it to you. So I asked. Now, for me... Everything changed, and I don't mean I recognized the change. I didn't see it, but other people did. I remember setting, it wasn't too long after that, and I think I've told you, I actually, I'm friends with this pastor. Me and him have been old, old buddies because we kind of came through the same revival, and he's actually pastors down in Ironton uh, here in Ohio. And, but I remember me and him sitting at the table. We were young men, and our, you know, all of our kids and friends were sitting there, and we're teaching. I'm going through the Bible, and he goes, huh, I can tell what your gifting is. And I said, oh, what are you, a prophet or something? <laughs> He's going, no. He said, it's evident. What are you talking about? And he goes, well, you're a, you're a teacher. And I said, you're out of your mind. You know, I, I teach what? You know, my gosh, I, you know, I, I hated school. I, I didn't know what he was talking about. It wasn't until years later. As, but to me, I just was drawn to it. You know, I went from a guy that read his Bible, uh, you know, occasionally. I mean, it wasn't like I... I was a Bible student, but after that, I found I couldn't put it down. I couldn't put it down. I mean, there was times, and my mother, uh, God, rest, uh, God bless her soul, because she's still alive and kicking, but I was, she was actually living with us at the time. She got very concerned for me as a young man because I literally would spend 16 to 17 hours reading it. I know that sounds absurd to most of you, but this is a true story. Uh, I remember... I couldn't put it down after that. And I just, I remember one time she got up. It was very early in the morning. And my mom came. And here I'd been setting up the whole time. And my mom, my mom comes in. And I was, of course, drinking pot of coffee after pot of coffee. My Bible's got crumbs in it and everything because I just kept eating and, and flicking pages and reading. 
And my mother come down, and this was after a few months of this, and she goes, I'm really worried about you. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you, you've been up again all night. And, of course, I, I hadn't got to that part where it says, you know, no, lie no longer one to another. I hadn't read that part yet. <coughs> so I lied to her. <clears throat> I said, no, I haven't. She goes, Dougie, you have to. You're wearing the same clothes. And I was like, oh, I'm busted, you know. But that was where my life was. And it never stopped. That continued for years. So I didn't have that before. I asked. It wasn't like that. Matter of fact, one of the hardest things for me was to memorize scripture. I've had people come to me and go, Doug, can you teach me how to memorize? I love the way you do that. I go, ah, well, you're thinking the wrong guy. I said, because, brother, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have a method to it. And it's going, well, because you know, some of the guys do. You know, Jack Van Empey, who says he knows the whole New Testament, which is cool, has a method where you can memorize it. It didn't work for me. I tried it. I used to write scriptures and try to memorize them. But after that day, without even me realizing it, it just began to stick. And it began, why? Because God knew what I was going to be doing. God has foreknowledge, so he knew. So I just want to challenge you. You know, we are not in a denomination that denies the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're in a denomination that actually started it. They started, they were the ones preaching it, man. We've just fallen a little far away from the tree, maybe. You know, maybe not very far, though. We just need to ask, you know. It is. It can be separate and subsequent to salvation. But is it necessary? Absolutely it is. You know, it's absolutely, especially when it comes to the admonition that Paul's talking about here in verse 10. Look at what he says. He says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. He just got done telling us not to let love be, you know, don't dissimilate. Don't let it be hypocrisy, you know. And so often that can happen. You know, we come to church, we put on our church face, we're smiling, you know, and people think one thing when in reality it's not true. But if we're walking in the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God is really in you, what, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, meekness, temperance. Those are all, do you realize that is the attributes of Jesus Christ? Every one of those. The Bible says by these great and precious promises, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. And we are, we've been made partakers by the filling and the sealing of the Holy Spirit, where you're sealed into the day of salvation. God has already given it to you. Sometimes you just got to ask to be reminded. Sometimes, you know, it's just like asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I challenge you tonight. If you've never asked, ask. If you want somebody to, because there's several ways. You look at the New Testament. I can't wait till we get to the book of Acts because it really is the model for the church because you see certain, you see sometimes they laid hands on people, you know, and they received it. Sometimes, like Cornelius, you know, they were just sitting there, Peter's preaching, and they're taking it in. All of a sudden, Holy Spirit come upon all of them. And they were baptized just like that. Now, that's kind of a cool experience. I actually saw that happen one time. You know, I've seen people prophesy, you know, just start talking the Word of God who had never read it. I've seen, I've seen, it, I've seen everything happen when people have received the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism. And there's a difference. So, just before we go on to that, I just want to encourage you once again, whether you're sitting here, whether you're listening on radio, if you've never done that, people, and if you're resistant to it, I want to ask you one thing. You know, Dave was preaching this morning, and he said, well, you might be apprehensive of a, of a home thing. You might be apprehensive. Come and see. Let me ask you something. If you've never experienced what I'm talking about, that dudamous power, that boldness, people tell me that, well, I don't have the boldness you do, Doug. Well, I would ask you why. Jesus is one who said in this particular instance that the only purpose, the only purpose for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to give you that dunamis power. Why? To make you a witness. Now, there's other giftings that come along with it. We're not there yet. That's 1 Corinthians 12. We'll get to it sometime, you know, because they're still in action today. There's nothing. They haven't ceased. But the real purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to make you a witness. And I, I got news for you. That word in the Greek is martyrs. Guess where we get that word from? Where we drive, we get the word martyr from that. You know, and it's interesting because when we hear the word martyr, we think death. We think death. But in reality, what it meant was the way you live. It's a martyr. Jesus said, you will become a witness for me. You will be martyrs for me. Not only here in Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. You're going to show people how it's done. Because the, I get goosebumps already, gang. Because that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. You know, we heard somebody mention the issue of discipleship. Most churches have no idea what discipleship really is when we have such a great example of it in the Scriptures. 
Jesus was the best example of a discipler that there was. A disciple means student. If there's going to be a student, there must be a teacher, right? But think about this. When you go back and you search the scriptures and you look at when Jesus' ministry was here on earth and how he dealt with his disciples, I want you to notice one thing. He didn't spend hours upon hours teaching them the scriptures. Most people go, what? Listen, I'm giving it from a Jewish perspective. Think about this for a moment. These guys knew the scriptures. How many times the Lord said, you know the scriptures? The rich young ruler came to him. What's the greatest commandment? You know the commandments? Thou shalt. And he went on. They knew it. Why? It was funny because me and my wife was watching. We were uh, this stupid show, and Rabbi was on there, and this guy who was Jewish but really not. I mean, like me, he was Jewish by blood, but he, he really wasn't anything. He did. But this rabbi, his cure for it was to make him wear phylacteries. So he gets out the little leather boxes with any, you know, wraps them on his hands and put the little box on his head. We look like a dork. And, and uh, did I say that? We might have to edit that. It, it just, it looks dumb, okay? Because they think that that is going somehow to metamorphose through the box and into their brains. Like, no, no. Jesus' way of discipling was so cool. He just lived with them. He lived with them. Now, when you talk about discipleship, right, and it's in the church, here's why it doesn't happen, gang. It takes personal investment. Because who does the discipling? Listen, you take a young Christian, when you lead somebody to Christ, I got news for you, you're obligated to that person. So often, we just want to lead people to Jesus. We want to cut another notch in our belt. And I know it's great. It is great to see somebody come to the Lord. It's even a, 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 I don't even know how to explain it. There's a, what a blessing it is to be the one that God used to bring somebody to him. I appreciate every person. I couldn't name how many people I've ever led to Christ or how many people i baptized. I'm sure it's lots. And I'm thankful that God has used me in that, you know. But what we really are obligated to do is not just bring them to Christ. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. Well, that takes one-on-one. You're going to have to make yourself available to somebody. Because here's what discipleship is. What Jesus did was he took them and he let them see him in action. Do you get what I'm saying? They saw Jesus when he was upset. They saw him when he was happy. They saw him when he was at his best, when he was at his worst. The things that grieved him, they saw him when he cried. They saw him. You know, discipleship, and let me give you an easy explanation for it. It is the how we do what we believe. That's what discipleship really is. It's not Bible studies. This isn't discipleship. This is teaching. You know, you guys are already believers. There's no unbelievers here. You know, there might be some listening by radio. I encourage you to give your life to Christ. But teaching is one thing. This, this is getting into your soul. This is giving you a better vision of what God has for you. But discipleship, man, that's a whole other issue. And God's called us to that. So leading somebody to Christ, discipling them, those are things that still, but we still have to be driven personally by the power of the Holy Spirit. We still have to be gifted by that. So I just, it was just something that's, uh, the Lord's really laying on my heart because it's easy to get away from it. And it doesn't matter what church it is, you know. I just, we happen to be here, and this has happened to be a Methodist church. And so the roots are based in the Holy Ghost. There's no reason why we're not doing it, you know. We can come up with all kinds of plans and all kinds of programs, but if the Holy Ghost isn't the one driving them, then it's going to be in vain. Those, you know, except the Lord build the house. Those that labor do it in vain. All I know is what the Scripture says, gang. And I want to go with the Holy Spirit. I hope you do too. Let's, let's follow him. So, Paul says, Be kindly, affectionate, one to another, but with brotherly love, honoring, in honor, preferring one another. So, once again, impossible outside of true, holy Spirit-driven love. It's impossible. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So not slothful in business. Well, you know, I used to be a businessman, and I've seen guys. Uh, prime example, uh, you know, I used to get up, and I'm sure that uh, any other businessman I've known plenty uh, would agree with me, that when you work for yourself, you work harder than you ever work for somebody else because, really, you don't punch a clock. That clock's never off. You know, it's just, you know, you do it. But I've seen other guys that have, and, I, and most of them don't stay in business very long. I've seen a guy who had a, a very good opportunity to have a very prosperous business, and yet 
he kind of worked like three or four hours a day because he thought that that's what it meant to work for yourself. And I said, uh, you read the wrong book, brother. I'm not sure what you got, you know. And he was a Christian. And he became a pastor. And he failed at it. His business lasted about a year. His church lasted about three. Why? Slothful. You know, slothful. So he says, be not slothful. In verse, fervent in spirit. Remember what he tells us in James. The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. Fervent. Look, look these words up, gang. You know, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessities of the saints. Given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend. It doesn't mean to be condescending. It means to relate to is what it means actually in, in this old English word. Condescend to men of low estate. That means relate to men of low estate. You know, Paul the Apostle said it this way. He said, I become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. So what's that mean? Well, to the poor guy, you got to be on his level. You got to be poor. Some of us don't have to act. <laughs> we can relate to it, you know. But you take a guy, we have a guy running for president who's a multi-billionaire. Multi-billionaire. I can't even conceive of those kind of numbers, that kind of wealth. But yet, one of the things I keep hearing about this guy is that when he's around the blue-collar guy, guys like you, guys like me, that he's kind of accepted in the gang, which I think is kind of interesting because a guy who's a multi-billionaire, you kind of think wears nothing but suits all the time. Uh, so once again, I'm not saying he's a Christian. I don't know about him. Uh, but I'm saying that that's a good example because, once again, that's what we are to do. We're to become all things to all men, that we can relate to them, you know, that why, so we can lead them to Christ. So he goes on, rejoice with them that rejoice, weep with them that weep, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend, that is to relate to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceits. So verses uh, 10 through 16, Paul's given us instruction on how our attitude and actions ought to be towards each other and in everyday lives as far as business goes. And then he says this in verse 17, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Revenge should never play a part in a Christian's life. Revenge has its root in bitterness. And bitterness has ruined more people than I can imagine, than I can even tell you. I've seen it happen so many times. And I've almost felt prey to it myself. So, you know, turn with me just real quickly. Let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. I just want to read this with you because this means something. One of the saddest things it is to minister to is somebody who's in bondage to bitterness because often if you're in it for long enough, you justify it. Well, you don't know what this guy did to me. You don't know what this girl did to me. It doesn't matter. You know, that the only person being hurt by bitterness is that person, but eventually, Paul says, Look at verse 14, Hebrews chapter 12. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. How does that happen? Well, because when a person becomes embittered, whether they realize it or not, subconsciously, a lot of times, they seek revenge. They want to pay back, you know. Revengeance is mine, saith me. I will repay. That's what, the, that's what they wind up doing. And so they go to long lengths to inflict that upon other people. You ever want to see a, 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 that happen, watch it happen in a church. A person who becomes embittered, for whatever reason, they don't like the pastor, they didn't like what he taught on, Next thing I know, I'm taking my Bible, I'm going down the street. You know, they get, and the next thing you know, they're calling somebody else in the church. Then they're complaining to somebody else in the church. And then, because why? They're wanting revenge. They want to spread that. And it's only the love of God that's going to give us the wisdom to set that person down and say, listen, man, I understand why you're upset. But let me, let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. 
And let's see if we can't work this out through the Holy Spirit. Let's see if we can't do it that way. Because it's only that. It's only that. I've seen so many times people will. Have you ever had, you ever been mad at somebody? Let me just ask you, let me put it to you this way. Have you ever been upset with somebody? And so, you know, let's face it. We all want somebody to cry on. We do. We all do. We all want somebody to be on our side. So we'll start talking to somebody. And because they're our friend and probably loyal, they go, you're right, man. That was a scumbag thing they did. You know, you're right. We hate them. Let's start the we hate them club, you know, and it'll be us. And Yeah, and, and I know, you know, Joe's on our side too. Let's get Joe in it because Joe, he hates him too. And now, now we all three hate him, and then we start the whole bitterness, we hate the other guy club. Have you ever had that happen? One time when I was pastoring Calvary Chapel, true story, my old pastor when I had been young had come to join me in the ministry. I had been reacquainted with him after 20 years of never hearing from him. And I loved Frank. Frank was just a great guy. Uh, he had his issues, but he was a great guy. He was no longer pastoring. But he looked like Moses. He really did. I mean, you know, Burt Lancaster Moses. You know what I'm saying? With the hair and the beard. It was, it was amazing. I mean, am I t am I t I'm telling the truth. He looked like Moses. Very handsome guy, but just, you know. Every time he walked in church, I said, you need to be wearing a robe and a staff most of the time. And people would just freak out, you know. But that's the kind of guy he was. But Frank was one of those very loving pastors. I mean, I'm kind of like the totally opposite of that. I'm like, I probably need to work on the love and compassion thing a lot, you know. But Frank was one of those guys where he just exuded it, you know. Very forgiving guy. But he was my friend. He was my friend, and he, he really loved me. And one time, uh, uh, I wrote about it in my book. I had a, an issue cropped up with one of my pastors, one of my assistants. And it was a very grievous time for me. If I'm your friend, I'm always your friend. So when I, I've been hurt with that philosophy, I, I want to warn you if, you, if you hold that same philosophy, you're going to be vulnerable. Because when somebody does hurt you, it's going to hurt a lot. Because why? You can't conceive of why they would do it. Because I wouldn't do that to you. So, you know, we, we're friends. I mean, I've been friends with this guy for years and years. And, you know, we were joined at the hip in ministry. And so I was going through this with him. And I remember I needed somebody to talk to. And I, I asked him, Frank, hey, you know, he was at my office, and I said, we had this nice walk down, because our church was right on the river, practically, and I said, would you walk down the river with me, just, you know, I just want to talk to the Lord, and talk to you, and get some counsel, you know, so I'm walking down there, and I'm just kind of pouring out my guts to him, and <laughs> Frank loved me so much, you know, he turned to me, he's going, you know what, Doug, you're right, and and he, and he starts naming all the things about the, my assistant pastor that he didn't like and, and how he saw it come. And I, and I recognized, like that, I recognized. I, st I stopped, stop, 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 stop. And I stopped us right there. I said, Frank, stop, don't do that. That's not what I need, brother. Don't do that. Don't take my, don't, don't try to be my friend at this moment. Give me spiritual counsel, brother. I want to forgive this man. I want to be restored to him. Don't encourage me to be bitter. You know, and he, me and him both stood there. And I don't mean to get emotional, but it was a very powerful moment for me because I realized the, the, the reality of what Hebrews is talking about. Beware, lest any root of bitterness spring up and thereby trouble you and thereby many be defiled. You know, he was trying to help me, but he was not helping me in the right way. I wanted somebody to say, Doug, this man loves you. He sees a different vision at this moment. He's going a different way. Learn to let him go. Because that's what I was battling with. I loved this guy so much. It wasn't that he hurt me. He was just being led by the Holy Spirit in a totally different way. And it was hard on me to let him go. It was hard on me. And so it came across as, as, as more of a betrayal when it really wasn't. He was being faithful to what the Lord had called him to do. I loved him so much I didn't want to let him go. But when I started to share this with another spiritual giant, I thought, instead of giving me wise counsel, man, he began to just fuel my fire, you know. But I didn't want that. So this is what Paul's talking about in Hebrews. You know, don't do that, he says. You know, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. That is what he's talking about, not falling from the grace of God, but failing in it, you know. Lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Don't do that, he says. If, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. 
for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Paul says, as much as it lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, the very nature of that verse says that sometimes it might not be possible. Some men won't let you. That's all there is to it. But Paul says, as much as it lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. There's been plenty of people, my wife knows it's true, I have tried to extend the olive branch to. You know, maybe, maybe people I have hurt in the past. I mean, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And they just want to cut it off. But I'm one of those guys, and she knows that I, I can't quit trying because I want restoration with people. I've I never been the kind of guy that just hangs on. I just, I don't understand grudge holders, man. I don't understand it at all. Because even when I was in the world, I wasn't that way, but I'm really not that way now. I could have somebody do something really bad to me, and all it would take for them to say is say, Doug, I'm sorry. And I go, great, let me cook you a hamburger. It's forgiven and forgotten. I mean, it'll never get brought up again. That's just me. But, you know, I think that's just the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what he wanted. As much as it lies in you. Sometimes it's not possible. He says, but don't avenge yourselves. You know, don't give place to that. For vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. That's the way it's read. That's not the way it's said. That's the way it's read. And I've had people read this verse to me. Well, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to kill them with kindness because it will heap coals of fire upon their head. God. Now think about this because most of your Bibles, if you don't have a King James, most of your Bibles remove that part of the verse. It's not even in there. Now why is that? Because all the textual manuscripts have it. But most modern Bibles remove it. Why? Because they don't understand it. The guys that translate, they don't understand it. It's a simple meaning. And it doesn't mean, I bet, what you think it means. Because most people read it as heap coals of fire on his head. That's the way most people read it. Why? Because Paul just got done telling us, seek not vengeance. Didn't he? He just said that. Don't do it. Give place unto wrath. For vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Now what we hear is, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. No, God says, listen, don't, don't you do it. Let me take care of it. Why? Because vengeance is mine. I'll repay, saith the Lord. And then we read, so if my enemies you know, feed him, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his... No, no, listen. The implication of that verse, and it's so cool, I love it, is it means to take a coal from your fire and give it to him that he might have fire too. You know, it's been said that the best way to cure an enemy, to remove an enemy, is to make him your friend. If at all possible, live peaceably with all men. That's what it means. And but a lot of Bibles remove it. Why? Because they just don't get it. They don't understand it. You know, but it's a simple meaning. You know, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give into your bosom. And of course, you know, that really applies when it comes to judgment. So often, when we see people and we, we get embittered uh, for whatever reason, you know, our judgment becomes worse and worse and worse. You know, we start looking at other things and, you know, us just hating their guts wasn't good enough. Now we start looking for other reasons why other people ought to hate their guts and so we start spreading that stuff. Once again, when people hurt you, it's painful. I've been hurt. I've been through it. I've had to fight that feeling of, of embitterment. I've, I've had to battle it. Many, many times. But I'm telling you now, it, it, it destroys people. It destroys, oh man. It really disrupts and grieves the Holy Spirit when we do that. It's better to love somebody, you know? When they've hurt you, bless them, curse not, he says. You know, is it easy? Oh, without the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, it's nigh to impossible. It, and even if you do do it, it won't be genuine. But if you allow the Holy Spirit working through you, then it becomes genuine. Then you can honestly say it. I've heard people, I've, Facebook is the greatest destroyer of truth and twisting of truth I've ever seen. You know, so many people say stuff on there they think has wisdom in it. You know, when you break somebody's trust, you, I forgive you, but I'll never trust you again. What you mean is you never forgive again. Because when God forgave you, he restored everything. Forgiveness restores. Restoration is restorative, you know, in everything. Now, I'm not saying that you should just place all your trust back in somebody who's broken that trust, but we should be willing 
to do it. We should be willing and open to allow them to be restored to that thing, you know, because that's what God does. And I want to point out one thing to you. The reason God says to give place unto wrath, that is his wrath, not man's wrath, is because when God exercises his wrath, his wrath is always mixed with mercy. It always is. God's wrath, because that sounds like an oxymoron, I know, but it's really not. It's just that God's ways are not our ways. We don't really understand. God's wrath is always mixed with mercy. There's only one time when it won't be, and that's during the great tribulation period when he will pour out his wrath without mixture, it says. I love that because that was the way that the Jews, when you talk about wine uh, in the Old Testament, which I think is funny because a lot of people think it means grape juice. No, no, it means wine. And it was very strong wine because what they did was they'd smash it, and when they fermented it, it was actually a I worked in a lab, so we would call it a sludge. I mean, it was like thick, and it still is because, I mean, it, was, it would come out these big stone vats. It was thick, and once it fermented, it just got thicker. It really wasn't something you could just like, hey, give me a big glass of that, you know. It, you couldn't do it. So what they did was they diluted it. So they'd pour some sludge, and they'd pour some water in it. It actually had two effects, which God is so cool. He's what it showed him how to do it. You know, the, the, they got most of their water, for, you know, a lot of it from wells, but sometimes they'd pull it out of the river. Well, them rivers are nasty, you know. Well, alcohol kills bacteria. So it had a really great effect. So it was mixed. And so God always in his, you know, in his wrath, always is mixed with forgiveness, wanting to restore, mixed with mercy. Man's wrath never is. And that's why the Bible tells us, uh, plain and simple in James 1.20, you can write it down. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. There's never a time when me getting mad at you or wrathful is ever going to work what God wants to do in your life. It's not going to. Because I don't have that kind of grace and that kind of mercy when I'm just letting go. And I've done it a few times. Give you the story, and we're getting late, so I don't want to keep you guys here too late. But this, this is something that happened to me when I was pastoring, you know, and this was when I was on top of the mountain. Top of the mountain, man. I was, I was on the peak. Our radio station had just went on the air. Yeah, boy, if anybody was walking in spiritual pride at that moment, it was me. I didn't know it, but it was. We had our own cafe. We had our own radio station. I remember being on the air because one of the guys who I had been on the radio with back in the early 80s, uh, me and him, uh, Gary Feigert, who's actually on the radio down in Nashville right now, me and him was the first two Christian disc jockeys in all Muskegon County. I didn't even realize that until he pointed it out on the radio. And, of course, I went on to say, well, you know, Calvary Chapel, we're the only church in the whole history of Muskegon County that's ever had its own radio station. Was it a true statement? Well, yeah, it was a true statement. <laughs> but it was a pretty private one too, you know, and I couldn't help it. I just, you know, I didn't even realize it was, but I was, I just giving you that because I was really, we were at the pinnacle of the church was doing great, you know, and, uh, and then my daughter ran away just like that. My closest daughter, the one I love the most. And I know that sounds like I'm prejudicial in my children of which I freely admit that I am. I love all my kids, but <laughs> me, me and Charity, because she's a knucklehead, just like me, we've got, we've got a special relationship, always have. She's my baby, and she took off on me. She was 18. I granted she was on her own, but she ran on. I had been invited to play and speak at a pastor's conference uh, up at Salt Fork. Going to be a pretty good big event. We had like 400 guys going to be there, three or 400, something like that. This was right when I was prepping for that. And I can't tell you how devastated I was because for two or three days, I didn't know where she was at. If you got children, you know what I'm talking about. She might have been 18, but she was still my baby. Top it all off, I had exercised my parental prerogative and I went looking for clues in her room and I found her diary and I read it. And some of the stuff she said in there regarding me just killed me just crushed me because it just wasn't true it wasn't true and it just oh i was devastated now I've two, now two days i've got to go sing and preach <laughs> now i'm hurting now i'm broken now I'm... 
But then I get a, the next day, I got one day to go, and then I get a phone call from a guy she's living with. Oh. And this guy got on the phone, and he wants to talk to me. And I wanted to kill him. And I said, I'm telling you right now, boy, I used language, gang, I'm not proud of, that I hadn't used in 30 years. I actually told this kid, if I catch you, I will introduce you personally to Jesus Christ face to face because I will unload every cap that I have in my 45. And you know what the scary part was about that? I meant it. I meant it. I told him, you better hope I never find you. He, and I remember what he said. He goes, man, I thought you were a man of God. I said, I'm going to introduce you to God personally. I mean, I will kill you. You touch my daughter, I'll kill you. What I didn't know is he already had. Now, next day, I had to pack. <laughs> and, of course, you can't be a Christian and walking in the spirit and let go and not be convicted. Oh, my. I was like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I mean, I actually told this kid I would kill him, and I, I meant it. I mean, I meant it. Oh. And I felt at that time I was the only guy in all of Christendom, the only pastor who had ever faced this problem. So I get to the big outreach, and, you know, I'm kind of walking in like, you know, my hat pulled down my face, you know. You know, I'm a loser. I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you kill me? That's the way I felt, you know. And I get there, and. Of course, the guy I, I kind of looked as my spiritual father was uh, Ed Gaines, who's home with the Lord now, God bless him, a big black guy. He was just such a joy to be around, and him and Tom and, and uh, Dave, who's home with the Lord, and they just, you know, all these other pastors were there, and they, they were just, they, they loved me. They loved me. And they were all, Doug, we're glad you're here, man. You know, it's going to be a great time of worship. And they, yeah, woo. Praise the Lord, you know, I was not in a good way. And I remember finally, it just, it was like an hour before I had, and I was going, there's no way I'm stepping up to that pulpit, man. I'm not going to do it. I mean, I'm in shambles, you know. I totally disgraced the Lord, and, 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 you know, I just felt like, I felt worse than Judas is what I felt like. And I still wanted to kill that kid. I did. And I said, look, guys, I got to talk to you, man. I said, I, I am not fit to preach right now. I just, I can't. And they said, what? And I said, man, I'll tell you. So they, they literally shut the doors. To all, we had 300 guys outside. They closed the doors. They put these things in the circle, these chairs, all 10 pastors. And I knew every one of them really well. And they put the chair in the middle. And they said, spill your guts. And I said, man, I hate to even tell you because I'm so ashamed of myself, you know. And I just told them the truth. Okay. Well, here's what I did. And I, and I just laid it out. Every rotten word I said. Every, everything I did, <laughs> I admitted the fact. I said, I, I still want to kill him. And I, I said, I just feel terrible at this moment. And Ed said, wow. <laughs> Never forget this. Let me tell you about my time. And he told me about the time that he took the shotgun to the door <laughs> and was going to kill a guy over his daughter. And then Pastor Tom said, let me tell you about my time. And then Dave says, oh, yeah, well, my time ain't come yet, <laughs> let me tell you. And they all began to tell me, you know, that they had battled the same thing and went through the same thing. And then they prayed for me. And then we had one of the best worship services that we'd ever had at those conferences, you know. And here's the funny part. About two weeks later, I hadn't heard from him for any good reason. You know, if I had a guy tell me he's going to kill me, I probably wouldn't call him either. But all of a sudden, my, my, my daughter, and they had started going to a local Baptist church here in this town, which was giving them very bad advice, I thought, you know. And my daughter calls me up, and I'm sitting there at the table, and I hadn't heard from her. And she goes, I have got a, a big favor to ask you. And I said, yep, I'll do it. She goes, you don't know what I'm going to ask. I said, yes, I do. True story. She goes, what am I going to ask? I said, you're going to ask me to do the wedding. I don't know what happened, but something's happened. And now you don't have anybody to do it, and you want me to do it. She goes, how did you know that? I said, I know God. And I know how he deals with me. 
You know, I said, I did not act appropriately. I was right in my reaction. I was wrong in the action. Be angry, the Bible says, but sin not. I said, you know what? I gave in to sin, and I, it made me feel good at the time. And for that, I'm sorry. And I said, but yes, I'll do the wedding. But why doesn't the other pastor want to do it? And she says, well, he lost his voice, and he can't. <laughs> couldn't speak. <laughs> I couldn't speak. And he couldn't speak just for the month, <laughs> for a whole month. He wasn't even preaching. God allowed that to happen. Why? And I told him, I says, listen, I know God. And my daughter said, I don't understand. I said, I blew it. And not only is God, God forgave me because he does, you know, he's already done it at the cross. I mean, God forgave me. But now just to show me how grace operates, he's going to make me do the wedding. <laughs> so that's, that's what I did. So I did the wedding, you know. But that's, you know, you have to really be walking in the spirit to do something like that. But you're, you know, we all have our days. There's always going to be those times when we don't, you know. But it's the Holy Spirit that comes in and really begins to minister to us and to show us. And then Paul's encouragement to us. I love this chapter. And the next one's even better. Uh, but we're going to get to that next week. So I'll tell you what. Let's go to prayer, and then we'll talk about it. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for all that you've done. We do thank you for your mercy and your grace and your restoration and all that you do for us, Lord. And even though we hit bumps in the road, Lord Father, and pitfalls, and Lord Father, you are so faithful. And you teach us and you guide us. And Lord Father, I pray right now for all my friends that are sitting here and those listening by radio, Lord Father, that might not ever hear this prayer. That, Lord, you would open our eyes up to the necessity of us walking in the Spirit and really yielding to you and allowing you to have your way. Father, we love you so much. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.